Good morning, or as we say in Philly, how you doing? Grace and peace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. It really is an honor and a delight to be here. I think I spoke here about seven years ago. I think that's how long ago it was, 2013 maybe. Um, it's, it's an honor to be back. It's a joy to be back. And as Jason said, to be among friends, but more importantly, to be among family. Because of Jesus, even though we may not know each other very well, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And even though we're separated by geography at this present moment in redemptive history, one day there's going to be a beautiful and amazing family reunion when we're in the presence of Christ and we'll be able to make much of Jesus together forever. Together forever. Isn't that wonderful? Um, so thank you for continuing to represent and make much of Jesus Christ in Downingtown. Um, being a lifelong resident of Philadelphia, I'm just amazed not only by all that's going on within the city, but how what God is doing in the city is also happening tier of suburbs after tier of suburbs beyond the city. And I've always had a watchful eye and have been always had a deep care and concern about what's going on in this whole Philly metro area. And so that you're here representing Jesus, making and maturing disciples is just such a, it just brings my heart a lot of delight and it's an answer to many of the prayers I've prayed for the fame of Christ to spread all throughout the Philly metro area. So again, it's good to be here, glad to be here. Um, I was telling them, this has been a crazy year, a little intro here before I get into the word. It's been a crazy year for us in the city. Um, you know how difficult it's been across the globe as we've been experiencing this pandemic, but our city has taken a big toll. If you have a heart to pray for Philadelphia, would you just continue to pray for our city? Um, as we are, we are experiencing a paralyzation in, in, in a, to a greater degree even um, as we are a major urban area. Um, it's affected the church tremendously. In fact, I'm a pastor now at one of the churches that we planted in South Philly, but that's not where I was a year ago. Um, I was a part of leading a church plant in University City down in um, the west, west part of Philadelphia. And so we are serving the neighborhoods surrounding University of Pennsylvania, Drexel University, University of the Sciences, and lots of young urban professionals. And um, over the course of the pandemic, um, we've experienced a great urban exodus, especially in our part of the city, which is one of the most transient parts of the city, period, even non-pandemic era. Um, so we experienced a great, great exodus in our community and therefore in our church as students didn't return, as young people were returning back to their points of origin because it was a lot less expensive to live outside the city than in the city. So it's been a hard time. So we saw the trajectory of where all these things were going. So we decided as the Lord led us to merge our church plant with another one of our existing churches in South Philadelphia. And so we've been there um, since uh, the beginning of November at Christ Church South Philly. Many of you may know Jeff Betcher. So that's, that's where we are uh, right now. And I've planted a number of churches. I planted the first church in Philadelphia 17 years ago. We planted numbers of churches out of that church in Northeast Philadelphia. Um, but over this last year, doing something I've never done before, being a part of planting a denomination. Um, so if you can think planting a church, and many of you are here, you're a part of planting this church. And so you know all the challenges and effort that goes into planting a church. Well, about a dozen churches, we've started to plant a denomination. And that's been a significant joy and challenge, a lot of work, a lot of effort. So you continue to pray for the churches in Philadelphia. And then pray for our family in particular as we are leaning into these efforts and experiencing a lot of changes. So thanks for let me share that, asking me to share that. Now, would you take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1. I want to bring to you a message this morning entitled The Celebration of Triune Love. It's my heart for you this morning as a local church to leave this gathering more aware of how deeply you are loved by God the Father 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let us hear the word of God, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to his reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. You don't have to be a fan of popular mainstream music to be pretty familiar with love songs. I mean, all you have to do is attend a couple weddings, and you basically know the top ten of all time, right? I mean, songs that just, just make you get all the feels, right? So you, you know them, you may be aware of them, but if you're a music fan like I am, you've probably noticed that over the last 20 years, love songs have changed quite a bit. In particular, the lyrical content of love songs, Songs that used to celebrate the enduring nature of love, like Lionel Richie and Diana Ross' Endless Love, have now kind of shifted to like Taylor Swift, we're never ever getting back together, right? I mean, even when I was in junior high, I mean, new kids on the block had I'll Be Loving You Forever, right? And so as you, as you kind of, if you're dialed into popular culture and, and you hear the lyrics to, to these modern love ballads, what you find is that there's a general cynicism and skepticism about the enduring nature of love. Will love really last? And you got to be honest, whether you're a popular culture guru or not, we're affected by what's going on in the culture around us. And so even though you may not be really into music, that skepticism, that cynicism, that's a part of the cultural ethos that we all exist in. And it has an effect on us. It affects possibly the way that we view not just romantic love, but just love in general. Maybe because of this general skepticism and cynicism about enduring love, maybe you find yourself wondering if the people that love you now will always love you. If the people who are with you now will always be with you. If the people that are for you will always be for you. Most tragically, I think the cynicism and skepticism about enduring love creeps into our view of God. I mean, God has said, I will love you with an everlasting love. Is that just hyperbole? Does he really mean that? Will God always love me? 
Will God always be with me? Will God always be for me? Does he really mean what he says when he says, I will love you forever? The great Puritan John Owen said, quote, The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is to not believe he loves you. The greatest unkindness you can lay on the heart of Almighty God is to not believe that he loves you. Church, do you believe that you are loved by God? Do you have a conscious, present, active awareness that you are deeply loved by God? And that love will never give up never run out, never come to an end for you. In Ephesians 1, 3-14, Paul is celebrating the, the, the endless love of the triune God. In fact, many scholars believe that verses 3-14 through form the lyrics to a song, a hymn of praise, with the central theme of the song being the un ending, enduring, multifaceted love of God. It's not a sappy, sentimental, shallow song like you might find on the top 40 list. This is a serious, passionate, theologically rich hymn of praise celebrating the never-ending love of the triune God. A love that never fails, never gives up, never runs out on us. This song is an outburst of praise in celebration of the triune God who has chosen to love undeserving sinners to the end. So here's the big idea I want to kind of unpack. I I like to summarize my sermons into one sentence. So here's the big idea I kind of want to have our hearts be affected by as we work through this text this morning. It's this. Although we are more undeserving than we care to admit, We are far more loved than we dare to imagine. Although we are more undeserving than we care to admit, we are far more loved than we dare to imagine. When we live in the awareness of God's undeserving, never-ending love, we will grow in our assurance of faith, We will be moved to worshipful all in wonder and we will be compelled to love him back and live lives that make much of his great and glorious love. And so so to move us in that amiable direction, let's consider four characteristics of God's love from this hymn of triune praise. And, And let me give you the four characteristics up front as we work through them because as is typically the case, I'll be rushing through the last two points. First, God's love is triune in its expression. Second, it's abundant in its experience. Third, it's undeserved in its extension. And finally, it's doxological in its end. First, God's love is Trinitarian in its expression. In the song, Paul wants us to go from a one-dimensional view of God's love to a multifaceted view of God's love. He wants us to move from, I am loved by God, to I am loved by the Trinity. 
He wants us to go from seeing God in, in, in a very, 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 very uh, narrow way to seeing God in all the fullness of who he is in Trinity. That we are loved by God the Father, loved by God the Son, and loved by God the Holy Spirit. And so in this hymn of praise, God's love is expressed in relationship to who he is as triune. Verses 3 through 14 carefully draw our attention to, that there is, to how there is one true God who exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to go from celebrating this love of God in general to celebrating this love of God as triune in particular. That God is united in the triune Godhead, to love us. And so that we are not just loved by God, we are loved by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. To, to, to use vernacular that, that, that kind of rolls off our tongues in, in kind of an awkward, clumsy way, we, we can honestly say what this hymn is causing us to, to want to say is, I'm loved by the Trinity. I am loved by the Trinity, now if it doesn't take a biblical scholar to know that the word Trinity itself does not show up in our Bibles. But the doctrine of the Trinity is expressed from cover to cover. And so here's a little bit of a review, and this is a little bit outside the text, but I think it helps us understand the text. The doctrine of the Trinity is, Trinity is significant, fundamental doctrine here. And the way we arrive at the doctrine of the Trinity is by two two sex sections of scripture, two groupings of texts that teaches two very important things. Number one, God is one. There is only one God. Texts like Deuteronomy chapter 7, where we read, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. There is one God. But there are also groupings of texts that make it clear that there are three distinct persons who are the one true God. The Gospel of Matthew especially frames this out for us in a way that's helpful to follow. In Matthew chapter 3, at the baptism of Jesus, after Jesus emerges from the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon Christ in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father pronounces, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And from there, Jesus serves as one who's sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit to live for us and then to die for us and to be raised for us and then before his ascension he commissions us and says go and make disciples of the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit the gospel of matthew especially frames the life and ministry of jesus in a trinitarian formation one of my favorite Trinitarian texts, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that blessed benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The scripture is clear. There is one God who exists in three distinct persons, co-equal in power, co-equal in glory, but distinct in their personage. Well, we have another text here that helps us understand a little bit more this incomprehensible mystery of God as triune. And it's verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The reference to the Father in verse 3 is quite obvious. The reference to the Son in verse 3 is also quite obvious. The reference to the Holy Spirit in verse 3 is not as obvious, but it's there. It's later in verses 13 and 14 directly, but it's also here in verse 3. It's found in the phrase spiritual blessing. That word spiritual can either mean spiritual as opposed to material, or it can mean that which comes from the Spirit. And many New Testament scholars would agree that in this text, in this context, the word spiritual here is referring to that which precedes that which comes from the Holy Spirit. Australian theologian Peter O'Brien notes, here the adjective spiritual means pertaining to or belonging to the Spirit. So what's the point? Here's the point. Here's what Paul is celebrating in this opening line of this hymn of triumphant praise. He's saying that all the blessings of God, all that comes from the loving heart of God, all the love and blessing that is described here in this text comes to us through the Trinity. It comes from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. All these blessings that are celebrated in this hymn of triune praise come to us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. In other words, celebrate the triune God because you are loved by the Trinity. So with this in view, verse 3 is informing us that the blessings of the triune God, all the blessings of the triune God come to us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. The Father is the origin of the blessing. Jesus is the substance of all the blessing. And the Spirit is the means by which all the blessing is received. Church, you are loved and blessed by the triune God. Let, let, me, let me try to illustrate this rather imperfectly. Now, for those of you who are in the church history, you know that anybody who tries to illustrate the nature of the Trinity becomes a heretic. I'm not in the mood to become a heretic today. Okay? But this is more of an illustration of the function of the Trinity, how the Trinity operates, how, how God's blessings come to us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. We're just on the other side of Christmas. And this year, especially, you've probably done a lot of your Christmas shopping online, right? And you probably use that glorious... Uh, online shopping center called Amazon, probably more than you ever have, um, may maybe over the holidays. And so he, let, let's just say for sake of illustration, um, I get you a gift from Amazon. He, here's how it works. I go on Amazon and I choose the gift. Amazon then fulfills the order and give, provides the substance of the gift. UPS or United States Postal Service or FedEx then delivers that gift to your door. In fact, I was amazed by this. We actually had a couple gifts that were supposed to be there before Christmas that were like, oh, all right, these just aren't going to be here for Christmas. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, we had two packages delivered to our house on Christmas Day. Shout out to UPS and United States Postal Service. They were working hard this, this Christmas season. Well, anyway, so the door, you get a knock at your door, and the UPS delivery person hands you the gift. Here's the question. Who is that gift from? Is the gift from me? 
Is the gift from Amazon? Is the gift from UPS? The answer is yes. <laughs> that gift has come to you from me through Amazon by the UPS delivery person, right? And that's in a very similar sense what Paul is describing here about all the blessings of God. All the blessings of God come to us through the Trinity, from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. So what's the point of all this? The point of this is Paul opens up this hymn of praise, wanting the church to know, wanting you to know, wanting me to know that I am deeply loved. You are deeply loved. You are deeply blessed by the Father, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. You are loved by the Trinity. Every expression of God's love, every blessing, Paul says here, is graciously brought into our lives this way, from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. God's love is Trinitarian in its expression. Well, then that raises the question, what does it look like to be loved like this? What does this love look like? How is it experienced? Notice, secondly, that God's love is abundant in its experience. This hymn goes on now to give multiple categories for us to revel in. It's not exhaustive, but nonetheless, it's a jaw-dropping inventory of how loved and blessed we are by the triune God. Paul says that we have been blessed with every blessing, every blessing from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. So, so what are some of those every blessings? Well, let's look, let's look at the catalog here. And, and let me just give you a heads up. This is the most lengthy point of the sermon. So by the time we get to the end of the second point, you're going to be like, I don't think you have time for three and four. Trust me, I just meant to kind of touch on those there at the end. Because God's love is abundant in its experience. And the weight of this text is on taking inventory on how loved and blessed we truly are by God the Father, through God the Son, through God the Holy Spirit. First, we are chosen. Look at verse three. He, that's the Father, chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is talking about the blessing of election. The triune God, the triune love of God looks like the Father thinking about you before you were even created. It looks like the Father choosing you to benefit from the accomplishments of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ before they ever happened. It looks like God the Father choosing for you to stand justified, holy, and blameless in his presence now and forever before you were even on this earth. Before a single molecule in the created universe ever came into existence, the triune God set their love on you. Before any of this was, before any of you were, God chose to love you and have you based on the merits of his crucified risen, and ascended son. What's that mean? Well, it means a lot, but here's what it means in this hymn. You are loved by the Trinity. You're chosen. 
Well, it's more than that. You're not only chosen, you're adopted. Look at verses five and six. In love, he, that's the father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is talking about the blessing of adoption. That God the Father chose you to be a part of his family. Which means that as a member of God's family, you have all the rights and privileges of being a part of the household of God. That means you get God as your father. Jesus Christ as your elder brother. And the Holy Spirit as your crazy uncle. Just kidding. Now the Holy Spirit who assures us that we belong to the family and gives us the confidence to say, Abba, Father. This blessing of adoption also means that all other followers of Jesus Christ are your family. The people in this room are your brothers and sisters. And we are part of a global family that one day will be reunited around the presence of God. And we will have the most amazing family experience in the house of the Lord forever. This is all possible because your elder brother did something for his disobedient siblings. Your obedient elder brother, Jesus, lived an obedient life in your place. He was tempted in all points as you are yet without sin. And even though he was always obedient, he always did the things that pleased the Father. He chose to suffer and be punished for disobedience that he had never committed. By dying in your place as a substitute on the cross. What's this mean? Here's what it means in this text and for this moment. It means you're loved by the Trinity. You're chosen. You're adopted. And there's more. You are redeemed. Look at verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The triune love of God looks like the Father seeing you as a miserable slave to sin and Him paying the price to release you and set you free. And that payment paid, that ransom was the precious blood of His one and only Son, Jesus. And now that you're free from your bondage to sin, you're no longer a useless slave, you are now a useful servant of righteousness. God has set you free and has given you purpose and has given you a part to play in the serving of service in the kingdom of God. Like Onesimus, you were once useless, but now you are useful and have something to do for God's holy purposes. You are set free. You are redeemed in Christ. What's this mean? Among other things, it means this. You are loved by the triune God. But wait, there's more. <laughs> you are forgiven. The end of verse 7. In Jesus, we've been, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Interesting word there. Very important word. It's a, it's, it's a word that kind of illustrates for us what sin actually is. Trespass means God has drawn a line in the sand. And he said, don't cross it. Trespass means we've crossed it. And that line is God's law. When God said, thou shalt, we said, I shall not. When God said, thou shalt, we said, we will not. God says, we do, we don't. God says, you don't, we do. That's us. We are transgressors. But here, here's what the love of God looks like. Through Jesus Christ, all of our trespasses are forgiven. 
Literally, we are released from the guilt. We are released from the condemnation. We are released from the just punishment for those offenses. So now in Jesus, our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. All of our shame is covered. All of our guilt is removed. All of our shame is tossed. Why? Because in Jesus, the Father no longer sees us in our sin. He sees us in his Son. What's this mean? Among other things, it means this. You, we, are loved by the triune God. I told you there's a lot here. There's, there's more. We're, we're not only chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven. Notice here, and this is an under-heralded blessing, we are included. We are included. Included in what? Look at verses 8 through 10. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, that's the Father, according to his, that's the Father's purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is talking about God's plan to renew all things in Christ. This is talking about that line from the song that maybe you've been singing a lot this Advent season, right? He, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. There's coming a day where Jesus will return and according to the Father's plan, he will take the broken pieces of the sin-cursed world and put it back together and make it new. He will take everything wrong and make it right. Everything crooked, he'll make it straight. Everything sad, like Tolkien said, said in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, will become untrue. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more disease, no more destruction, no more devastation, no more COVID, praise God. No more death, no more devil. When Jesus returns and at the consummation of all things, he will unite all things as they should be. What a day that will be. The Father has a plan. It will come to fruition. He will put it all back together through Jesus. Well, here's the point. You've been included in that plan. Hasn't he taken the broken pieces of your heart and put them back together? He's forgiven your sin. He's redeemed you. He's chosen you. He's adopted you. He's in the process of sanctifying you. And one day, you will be glorified with Christ. One day, you will never, ever, ever have to bury your hands in your face and say, sorry, Lord, I did it again. One day, you will never be able to sin again. One day, you'll never experience pain again. One day, everything will be right again. One day, you'll never have to go to the dentist again. All right? coming from a family of, of Irish with really bad teeth, okay? Oh, glorious day that will be, okay? Right. You're not only including this plan as a beneficiary, you're also including this plan as an emissary. God's got a plan. He's putting the world back together in Jesus' name. And as the church, we've been sent according to plan, 
We've been sent on this mission to, to move things in the direction of the renewal of all things. And so we go and we proclaim the gospel. We make disciples. We, we love in word and deed. We, we hate injustice. We show mercy. We, we, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in a broken, sin-cursed world. And we do this according to plan. We've been included. Church, you have a purpose. You're a part of the plan right here in Downington. You're a part of the plan. Jesus is putting the whole world back together, but he's putting Downingtown back together, and you're a part of that plan. You are sent. You're included. Oh, there's more. We are converted. Look at verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, believed. This is the blessing of conversion. There was a time in your life when you were in unbelief. There's a time in your life you're born this way and you will continue this way until a miracle happens. God in his mercy sends someone to you to proclaim the gospel with their words. And when you hear that gospel, it falls upon your physical ears. And then another miracle happens. God not only in his mercy sends someone to proclaim the gospel to you with their words, he also sends the Holy Spirit to your heart so that you can be awakened to believe those words. That's the miracle of regeneration. No one believes unless their hearts are quickened. No one believes unless their hearts are made alive. And so this, this conversion that Paul is referencing here, this blessing of conversion, it happens every single time someone hears the gospel combined with the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit, bringing someone to faith in Jesus. Do you remember when that happened for you? For some of you, it's when you were young and you had the privilege and the blessing of growing up in a Christian home. And mom and dad regularly told you the good news of Jesus. And you went to local churches with, with faithful Sunday school teachers and disciple makers and pastors and preachers and deacons and deaconesses who, who proclaimed the good news of Jesus to you. And you've been privileged. Maybe some of you later in life, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, a classmate shared with you the good news of Christ and then the miracle happened. The Holy Spirit turned the light bulbs on and you've been converted. You were going this way, now you're going this way. You were thinking that way, now you're thinking this way. You didn't do that on your own. That's a blessed miracle. What's this mean? That you're converted, that you've heard the gospel and you believe it. It means this, you are loved by the triune God. Uh, one final blessing in this long inventory of blessing. We are sealed. Look at verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You're not only saved, you're secure. You're not only saved, you're secure. This is talking about the blessing of perseverance. I've got good news for you. If you've genuinely been regenerated and, 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 and converted, you will make it to the end. You will have doubts. You will have struggles. You will wrestle with things. But my friend, if your heart has been made alive and you've been converted by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit, you will make it to the end. Your faith will persevere. You're in the Father's hand. No one can rip you out. You can't jump out yourself. Once saved, always persevering. Why? Not because you got the power to hold on, 
but because the Holy Spirit of God is in you and has sealed you for the day of redemption. You will make it. The Holy Spirit guarantees it. What's this mean? Among other things, it means this. You are loved by the Trinity. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, included, converted, sealed. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul? What wondrous love is this? My friends, God's love is abundant in its experience. Now, what makes this abundant love all the more jaw-dropping and spectacular is this third characteristic of God's love. God's love is undeserved in its extension. The love of the triune God comes to undeserving sinners. Now this is implied all over this hymn of triune praise. But in particular, look at verse 3. God did not choose you because you were holy and blameless. God chose you so that you would become holy and blameless. Which means when he chose you, you were unholy and guilty. That means that the triune love of God, this electing love of God that's referenced in verse 3, comes to undeserving, guilty sinners. Unearned, undeserved. You know what else you call that love? You call it grace. God's amazing love is amazing grace. Those who are rejected or chosen, those who deserve to be disowned or adopted, those who deserve to be condemned are forgiven, those who deserve to be excluded or included, those who deserve to perish are preserved. This amazing love is amazing grace. Church, we are more undeserving than we care to admit. But oh, we are more loved than we dare to imagine. Now, one more thing is worth noting on this point. Um, this outpouring of undeserved love and blessing was and is the triune God's delight. It's his delight to love us like this. How do we know that? Look at verse 5. Verse 5 literally reads, according to the pleasure of his will. Your ESV reads, according to the purpose of his will. Now this is probably a little late in the sermon to go a little technical, but I think it's a, worth, it's a worthwhile moment here. Um, three different words in this hymn of triune praise are translated um, the same way. And I think the distinction is important, and ESV actually doesn't capture it. Um, this word here in verse 5 is the word eudokia, which means pleasure choosing. To, to choose according to pleasure. The, the prefix you means pleasant. Eulogy, pleasant words. Utopia, pleasant place. Eudokia, pleasant choosing or a delight to make this decision. This is a word that doesn't just talk about the, the determination of making a decision. This is a word that talks about a delight, an eagerness, uh, a thrill in making this 
decision. That's why both the, the NIV and the New King James Version and the NASB all translate this, the pleasure of his will. And I think that was the wise choice. Why? I think it's because Paul is bringing to our attention, highlighting the fact that God has chosen to love undeserved sinners in all the ways that we've just categorized, and it's been his delight to do it. It's his pleasure. God loves to love us. God loves to love you. It's not a bother. It's not an inconvenience. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit delight and loving, undeserving sinners like you and me. Now, it's almost unfair to ask this question, especially on Sunday, but who likes Chick-fil-A? <laughs> right? Right? I mean, let's be honest. Chick-fil-A, it's God's, gift to the, it's God's gift to the fast food world. Okay? I mean, especially if you know about some of the secret sauces that are kind of undercover and not on the list. Do you know about that, some of these? Honey roasted barbecue sauce. Ask for it. There's already a believer here in the room. Okay? Next time you go, add a little honey roasted barbecue sauce to whatever you're eating, and it will take an amazing experience to a third heavens experience, okay? All right, just just take my word for it. Um, But what happens when you go to Chick-fil-A? I mean, their workers are trained that every time you say thank you for something, what's their response? My pleasure, right? It, It almost can come across as a little robotic and insincere. Thank you for those fries. My pleasure. Thank you for the sweet tea. My pleasure. You're ugly. My pleasure. I mean, they just say it. (laughs) Don't think that about God. When we thank him for these blessings, his response, my pleasure. Thank you for choosing me. My pleasure. Thank you for adopting me. My pleasure pleasure. Thank you for redeeming me and forgiving me and including me and converting me and sealing me. Hear God say, my pleasure. You're not an inconvenience to God. You're not a major or minor inconvenience to God. He loves you and he loves to love you. It's his pleasure. What's this mean? Oh, it means that we are really loved by the triune God. And finally, Fourth characteristics of God's love. God's love is not only Trinitarian in its expression, not only abundant in its experience, not only undeserved in its extension, but finally, God's love is doxological in its end. And let me just touch on this for a moment. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The word glory there in the original language is doxa. It's where we get the word doxology. Words that ascribe or make much of the glory of God. So we see those two words, so that. Whenever you see the word so that in your English translation, that's a statement of purpose. For this reason, for this purpose. And so here we are. God is saying, here's the purpose. Here's the reason that I've blessed you in the ways I've blessed you. Here's the reason I love you. Here's the purpose. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So that we who are loved by God would live our lives making much of God. So that we who are, have this grace lavished upon us would live our lives to make much of that grace. 
to herald that grace, to celebrate that grace, to share that grace, that we who are loved by God would say to others, look at how loved I am by God. I don't deserve it. But in Christ, I am chosen, adopted, forgiven, redeemed, included, converted, and sealed. We've been loved by God like this so that we would live lives that let out a doxology of praise, making much of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we don't miss this. It's repeated three times in this hymn of praise. Verse 7, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 6, to the praise of his glory. And in verse 12, to the praise of his glory. So what should we do in response to this love other than believing it? Oh, we should make much of it. We should celebrate it. We should get up on a mountaintop if possible and tell everyone about it. We are loved by the Father, loved by the Son, and loved by the Holy Spirit. This was certainly on the mind of Charles Wesley when he penned the words of his very familiar hymn, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. So bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be that all of this is ours? from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Oh, church, although you are more undeserving than you care to admit, you are more loved than you dare to imagine. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing this to us. Thank you for this one paragraph in this one letter of this big book, the Bible. Thank you that it's crystal clear who you are and what your disposition is toward us. Thank you that although we deserve your wrath, you have shown us your love and mercy and grace. Thank you that we who deserve to be cast off have been brought in. Thank you that we who deserve to be judged have been forgiven. Thank you that we who deserve to be rejected are accepted. Thank you, Father, for blessing us in Christ Jesus, our great Savior. Jesus, thank you for coming for us, living for us, dying for us, rising for us, ascending, being exalted, now ever living above for us, and one day coming back to make it all right. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening our eyes to see this, for awakening our dead hearts to believe this, 
and for renewing our faith again and again and again and bringing us to the place where we once again celebrate and stand in awe and wonder that we are loved by you and the Son and the Father. This is a wondrous love. So we're asking our triune God that we not only live in the reality of it, but that we'd actually respond to it the way we're supposed to. Will we celebrate it? Will we live lives to the praise of your glorious love and grace? Will we live lives that that live to, to tell and to show this great love to a world in need? Spirit of God, come. Fill us afresh. Spread the love of Christ abroad in our hearts and cause us with renewed affections to be amazed at how deep the Father's love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.